Welcome to the Guitar Omni Podcast. I'm Carl Woolwind of Columbus Classical Guitar. Each episode, we'll chat with a featured guest from the classical guitar world. Candid conversations, unique experiences, and career observations from the people who best know the guitar. This is your masterclass in life and the guitar. For more information and past episodes, please visit columbusclassicalguitar.com or see Carl Woolwind Guitarist on Facebook. So I'm here with Duo Noir, that's Thomas Flippin and Chris Mallett. Hey guys, how are you? Pretty good. Good, how you doing? I'm, I'm doing great. I, ha- I have to say, from, from my point of view, it looks like you guys are currently tearing it up really, really hard. Like, like you're just doing everything and a lot of it. And you're probably one of the most mentioned uh, artists that, that other guests of my show have brought up like everybody said hey you got to get the duo you know and then nice. so i was just talking to ben Burgery last week and he, he he mentioned you guys as well and he was very excited when i when i said that you guys were coming on and and said to say hi and all that kind of stuff so we both love ben he's he's amazing what a what an energetic guy you know like i was when i when it when the day i was i was talking to him i was i was pretty pretty low energy I, you know i hadn't i haven't had much sleep over the past couple weeks and running pretty ragged and I was like oh man I hope I can get through this and you know and then when I was over I was just so excited and so you know full of energy it was really great so I was like you know I don't need a cup of coffee I just need to talk to Ben Berger (laughs) (laughs) so did did you guys study with him yeah yeah that's where we met that's where we met there you go and when was that um well Thomas was there first when when did you get there Oh God, I don't know. I'm such an old man now. Decades. (laughs) (laughs) They had just come out with electricity. It was amazing. Uh, I think it was like 2005 to 2008. And I met Chris in the summer of 2007. Okay. And you guys both did an undergraduate degree there then? Uh, I did the master's and then I stayed on for, for the artist diploma. Which okay. Chris Chris did not get the artist diploma. Oh, I, I, uh, oh. I chose I chose oh. I chose not to do the artist diploma. I went it's out, a shame, really. I went out I went out west, and we can we can get into that later. But I did my undergrad at uh, at Oberlin with Steve. Oh, Harris, Steve, you yeah. had on the you've had on the yeah. show before. I listened to the episode. And Absolutely, yeah. Steve, and you know I feel like I've been super lucky with with the teachers that I've had in the past. Both Steve and Ben are just amazing yeah. forces of nature. I've known Steve since like the early 90s. I I went to school at uh, Cleveland Institute in the early 90s. And so, you know, we were always up and back between Cleveland and Akron and whatnot. So I'm just going to give a shout out. Let's let's just keep it free form. I'm just going to give a shout out to Steve Aaron. Steve Aaron just sent me uh, after we had a concert uh, at Oberlin where he teaches. He just sent me a huge collection of some incredible music that he's put out. And I kind of just want to I kind of just want to plug him a little bit. (laughs) He's got, you know, why He's not, an absolute workhorse. While, while you're looking, while you're looking, I'll, I'll, I'll mention some stuff about Steve's performances. He did the Menagerie performance out here. I had him out on my series a few years back. Oh, cool. He did, he did a concert just of his, of his etudes. And man, you know, like when I studied with Steve, he wasn't, he was just starting to compose. I think he just wrote Rockport Stomp. And then okay. to have him out on my series, you know, uh, 10 years later after I graduated or whatever, and him playing a whole concert of his own original compositions was 
so amazing it was that's so really, cool that's fun yeah that's really, really yeah great. I, yeah i just i just want to give him i just want to send him some love you know he's 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 got this piece one fell swoop he's got three suites for guitar he's done the entire collection of uh chopin mazurkas right. which is incredible the complete yeah. guitar works of burl marx <laughs> he's paying me so much to give him this plug it's amazing uh, <laughs> three three musings rockport stomp in a, in a dance style suite of like Bach on the guitar. Like this dude is prolific. And I just, yeah. I just want to give him a shout out. People should be checking this music out. I can't wait to dig into it. Uh, and let's just start with that, that shameless plug. There we go. Where's, that's, my, where's that's, my music? That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> no Tom, artist Thomas diploma, Woody. no care package from Steve. <laughs> Jeez, man. I, 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 just, I, I see how this duo is going. I know I how did, this is working. I should yeah. just quit. <laughs> well what's it feel like to ride on his coattails i mean really uh, that's an arrangement i've always i've always been seeking and i haven't found it yet everybody i get associated with you know i think this is going to be it this is this is for this this is the these are the coattails that i'm going to ride on i'm gonna i'm gonna do one more shout out i'm gonna do one more shout out to steve this whole podcast is gonna be about steve if it wasn't for steve <laughs> if it wasn't for steve i probably wouldn't even know my wife so okay. I just want to put that out there because how'd that happen? Many years ago, when I first moved out to the Bay Area, I got this email, this random email from some festival in Indonesia, okay. and it was like, you know, we'll fly you out here and all this stuff, just like this straight email to me, and I was like, this has to be a scam. My dad, <laughs> my dad was like, dude, don't go. They're gonna like, you know, harvest your organs. Oh, and then, <laughs> and then I, I I told Steve, I was like, Steve, what do you think? Should I go out? To, to Indonesia and play. He's like, yeah, go, definitely. You got to go. right. <laughs> so I, I went out there, made a lot of good friends, went out there, you know, and it was a real festival. Went out there a couple more times. My wife was living in Indonesia at the time. She was a oh guitarist. And, um, and I met her out there and she moved to America and, um, wow. and we got married. So thank you, Steve. There you go. <laughs> oh, amazing. <laughs> Sent you halfway across the world to find your bride. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, it's like he knows these things. It's I like, know, man. <laughs> crazy. And, it, it, and Chris, where did you do your undergraduate? Oh, you said you said Oberlin, right? Yeah. yeah. How, and Thomas, how about you? I went to the University of Chicago. Oh, okay. So, so we were actually there? close to each other. Uh, well, there was, there was no, no performance degree there. It's just okay. theory, composition ethnomusicology all that academic yeah. you know bruja so did, did you have a performance component at all that you had to had to do uh no i did some stuff with the uh the chamber music organization there but what i was doing was i was studying privately with two incredible teachers in the chicago area okay uh the first was dr julie goldberg who was the oh, actual yeah. oh my first guitarist to get her doctorate from northwestern right and then uh and then i started and, studying and the guitar money podcast guest well, there you go. There you go. I love I love Julie to death. And then and then I also started studying with Dennis Azabagic. Um, oh yeah, wow. the incredible guitarist um, and GFA winner. So so that was that was my my training when I was an undergrad. Great. And and not through through the school. So you kind of had some freedom there, I imagine. You know, in terms of what you wanted to focus on. And, and that's yeah, pretty much just kind of bringing pieces that I was working on and interested in, and just seeing how they thought about them and thought about fingerings and sure. all that stuff. And where did you grow up? Uh, we both grew up in Southern California. Oh, okay. Did I don't you know, know if that each comes other through. Before you went to, <laughs> yeah, I could. Did you know each other before you went to Yale? Then no, no. We, okay. we grew we up Yale, with right? like very similar 
lives, I think, in Southern California. I was in San Diego and uh, Thomas, you're in Orange County. And, okay. you know, we both played um, in punk bands. And Excellent. We both skateboarded. You know, yeah, yeah. You know, Southern California at the time in the early 2000s, you know, was the hub of like pop punk and punk music. Yeah. Everyone was coming out of there. So every single person uh, who played guitar had to play that music and had to have a band. It was basically required. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And, and so how, how, did, how, did, how did you get into classical guitar from that? You want to go I, first, Thomas? I'll, I'll go first. Yeah, yeah. sure. Is, is my story not as good? You want to be the closer? Okay. Yeah, my, my story's better. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> so uh, my story is like the most California story ever. So I, I had literally just been out surfing with my friends, and we came back from the beach, and we're like hanging out at my friend's house, and he's like, oh, you got to check out this CD that my dad has in his collection. And he just put this thing in the CD player. And it was like Andre Segovia playing something, either like the the homage a Baccarini or the the Asturias, one of those two pieces. Yeah. And it like blew my mind. I was like, I've got to learn how to do this. I didn't know you could Amazing. do this on the guitar. And so I pivoted hard from like teaching myself Nirvana tunes and Soundgarden songs to just doing all classical. I was a child of the internet. So I was like looking up tablature, okay. figure out how to play this stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then I started getting really serious about it. So that, that was my, my journey. And how old were you at the time? I was probably like 11 when I started playing classical. Okay, wow. Okay, wow. So, so I was a late bloomer. Did you, did you, well, not for a classical guitarist, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> did you, did you start, um, did you search, search out a teacher or anything? I just do it no. all. No. And I think, oh, I gosh. think in ways that was kind of a, a strength for what I ended up doing with the guitar. Yeah. Um, Cause from oh. the very moment I got a guitar, I saved up my lunch money, you know, yeah. and I got this like $30 guitar out of a magazine called Daymark. And it came and it was this piece of junk and I didn't know what I was doing. And for a while I tried to put steel strings on the nylon guitar. Um, Cause I didn't understand why the strings were, were this plastic yeah. stuff. Sure, sure. Um, but yeah, so then I started just like from the very moment I picked up a guitar, I started composing my own music for it to teach myself. So I started okay. writing little melodies on one string Amazing. then two strings. Um, and so I just huh. associate practicing with like being creative and making songs in pieces. Uh, and that's, that's led to me being like this composer later on you know so that's Very that's cool. that's the gist yeah wow huh well, what about you chris yeah i started the classical thing i started pretty late um you know in high school as i said I, I played in a lot of bands but at the end of high school um i started getting into like you know music neoclassical metal like ingve malmstein and okay. and things like that right yeah. so then um you know, I knew I wanted to study music or I, I knew I wanted to be a musician. I just had no idea how to go about it. You know, I didn't have a teacher in high school. I didn't have any sort of musical guidance. And um, I had no idea that you couldn't just go to college and just play whatever you want. So yeah. I kind of, I, I was inquiring at some local- It's a rude awakening for many of us. It is, yeah, it is, it is. You know, after, after realizing that I wasn't gonna make, you know, um, millions of dollars in a rock band. I was like, okay, so what's the next step? And I, uh, <laughs> make, make hundreds of dollars as a classical. <laughs> no, but, no, but I, I, you know, I was looking around and high school is over and I was like, okay, I want to continue playing music. So what should I do? Luckily in San Diego, there's this amazing 
um, teacher at this really small community college called Grossmont College. His name is Fred Benedetti. Um, and, you know, he, he had one of those class classical guitar classes, you know, it's like 100 people in there. I showed up with my steel string on the first day of class. It was like my first day of school. And um, I remember after the, the first class, he played his arrangement of Mulligania, and then he played Asturias. And that was the first time that I had ever seen classical guitar in person. And I was like, oh, my God, this is so cool, <laughs> you know. So, you know, instead, instead of trying to get my electric guitar chops better by taking a classical class, I decided that I wanted to study classical guitar. And um, I was I was 18 when I started that class guitar class. Oh, and then wow. at the end, you know, that semester, they let me know that there was like a scholarship they were offering um, for classical guitars that would be in the wow. spring. So for the entire winter break, I, I sat down and taught myself um, the beret by Bach. Uh -huh. And, you know, wrote out every single note because I was just learning how to read music and then learned each line at a time and then played the whole thing just plucking P and I, you know, just like And then I showed up to the scholarship audition and I played it like that. And they're like, oh, my God, it's technique is so bad, but I can't believe you can actually play the piece like you actually learned a piece on your own. with like this. <laughs> So then I was able to get a scholarship to to study um, classical guitar, take private lessons for free. And I was just turned 19 and I was the first time I'd ever taken a, a private lesson. It was with yeah. another teacher there, George Savota, who ended up being my teacher okay. for, for three years and taught me all my fundamentals from the very beginning. Wow. So very lucky very that cool. such a huge guitar program in a, in a community college, you know, every single right. student that I was there with, you know, one went to Manhattan School of Music, another one went to San Francisco Conservatory. It was just like an insane... Huh conservatory experience in, uh, in like in, in a community, community college. college. Yeah, yeah it was it was awesome. Yeah, that's, I got to concede. Great. That is a better story. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, Bravo. I, I, I made it all up. <laughs> <laughs> Extra points for that. So I'm, I'm keeping score here. No, that's that's great. Wow. And so okay, so so Thomas, you went to, you went to Chicago and 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 Chris, you were in San Diego, and then you went to. How, how did you end up going to Oberlin then? Did you, did you so you did you get like associates or something? At, 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 I I didn't. My my whole plan was just to transfer out, and okay. I figured with three years of so I finished all the coursework and stuff in two years, and I stayed an extra year just to get better. Okay. And just like you know, my parents told me you can live at home, you don't have to work as long as you wake up every single day at like by nine a.m. I want you practicing. So. Wow. I was like, all right. So then I just Can dedicated. I move in with your parents. Now? I know. Well, <laughs> it's very dream, man. I was very lucky. My my dad my dad's an artist, so he, he kind of under yeah. he he understands. You know, it takes practice and and support yeah. in order to get better. And I, you know, I didn't have like I said any classical education as as a kid. So this was my chance to really get good. So um, they let me stay and and say you know and practice every day and. Um, when auditions came around, I auditioned to, my main goal was to go to San Francisco Conservatory. That was kind of like what I wanted to do. It's all I wanted to do is in California. And, um, but I also applied to Oberlin because they had regional auditions. I had never heard of Oberlin before. Um, I, had, I had heard of Steve because of his Chopin arrangements. I think they were just coming out at that time. And so I took the, San, uh, the regional audition for Oberlin in San Diego and, uh, and Steve, was just was super. 
No, it was this guy, Michael Mandarin. He was uh, oh, yeah, yeah. the admissions admissions director, but he was also a guitarist and a lute player, yeah. so it was kind of cool. Um, and Steve was like, you know, what do we got to do to get you here? And he was able to get together some scholarship money. And, you know, I realized that the conservatory had an impressive teaching staff with Tannenbaum and, and Dushan Bogdanovich and Mark Teichels and Larry Ferrara, but I really wanted a campus kind of like, you know, traditional campus undergrad experience. So Oberlin offered that and, and Steve, you know, I loved being in a small studio as well. Um, sure. I was looking for that just so you have one teacher, they can pay attention to everybody and yeah. Just and I made the right choice. And, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Yep. So very cool. And what did how long, how long were you at Oberlin? I was there for two years. Okay. So you finished yeah. degree and then, then off to, to New Haven for the, for the graduate work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Awesome. And, and, and how about you, Thomas? Like, how did it end up that you ended up in, in Chicago? Oh, yeah. So, you know, I, I was finishing up high school and I, uh, I knew I wanted to get away from Southern California and like broaden my horizons, live in a major city. And so just University of Chicago really spoke to me because I, at the time, I didn't want to be a classical guitarist. I didn't even know that was something like that you could seriously consider doing. Right. I was going to be a lawyer. So I went to the University of Chicago and I actually... Uh, my focus was law. They had this undergraduate major wow. called Law Letters in Society. They're so still speaking to you? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> parents were a little, uh, my dad was a little surprised when I made that hard pivot. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, I was, I was studying my, my uh, undergraduate thesis was on copyright law and music and, uh, yeah, and I mean, that was just what really spoke to me. I just loved the legal profession. I did mock trial, which is like wow, collegiate competition thing where there's like a fake case given to college so students you, around you the country. you could have had a real job. I could have. <laughs> <laughs> if I were like a responsible human, you know, with like a different kind of work ethic and... <laughs> Not a natural born guitarist. <laughs> yeah, but there's that moment you realize, like, oh crap, I can't do anything else other than play the guitar. You know, like, or I don't want to. I don't. And being in an office with people, like, this, this doesn't work. So, I just want to sit in my basement and just pluck on these strings all day. That's the life, man. Amazing. <laughs> so, so you you just changed your major. Oh, well, so, so I yeah. did the, the law letters and society degree, but then I minored in music. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I guess, I guess this is the, the appropriate time to like get in, get into the backstory, man. Yeah, man. So, so I was going to be a lawyer. Like I was dead set on it. I went to college, like I'm going to be a lawyer and I'm going to go to law school. Um, but then my, the end of my freshman year, the morning after mother's day, I get a phone call from my dad and he lets me know that my mother has just died. Oh, and I'm like, uh, I just turned 18 years old oh. and, you know, like my whole world got thrown upside down. And so at that moment, you know, like you're processing all these things and you realize like, oh my God, life is really fragile and not guaranteed. Like at any moment, any one of us can be gone. And then, then I just started thinking about it, doing all this research about the legal profession and seeing like, uh, the high rates of alcoholism and, you know, drug abuse and like and the unhappiness in the profession. And so I just made that hard pivot. And I was like, life is short. I could be dead at any moment and I'm gonna be a musician because this is what Amazing. speaks to me the most. Wow. Oh my gosh. And you were out of school at the time. You had, you had graduated already? No, no, this no. was this okay, was sure. uh, like the end of my, so that happened my, end of my freshman year. Okay. I spent the summer thinking 
And then, you know, I did like one festival. I think I did the, the Cincinnati Conservatory of Music Festival with Claire oh, Callahan. Me. Yeah. In the summer? In the summer, yeah. They had a little what summer year was program. That? that was probably 2003. Oh my gosh. Were you there? Was I there? Oh my God. Were you there? I, I, I taught for that. I taught on the faculty for that for 20 years. Yeah. What? Yes. I mean, it's not surprising, but. That's crazy. <laughs> You were you were you would have been in the in the advanced group. Probably. I was in the advanced yeah. group. We played like Tchaikovsky's Nut something from the Nutcracker. Oh my gosh, wow! And then we premiered a piece uh, like a guitar orchestra piece by Jeffrey Van. Sure, sure. Yeah, there were. Was that one of the big anniversary years? It. I mean, probably. Because those all started. Yeah, because because the guitar orchestra was not a, a prominent. It was on, it wasn't a regular feature of that of that festival and then what happened was like there was an anniversary year and jeff wrote one of those pieces for the whole thing and we did the big guitarist thing and all the students went crazy they were like well i want to do this every year so then we did it every year after that so there, there's a whole bunch of those pieces and she had other people writing them and stuff yeah it was it was, a, it was crazy and the amount of work that got done in the course of a week at that festival was just astonishing wow that's crazy. i had an amazing time yeah i was probably there there were a couple years well, there was there was one year that I got sick, and and I, I didn't teach very much because I was lying in bed trying not to die, and uh, I I think there was there were a couple years where I I left early for gigs and stuff like that. But uh, wow, that's a, I was I was probably there. There's a, I mean, that's crazy. That Small world, crazy. man. Maybe we I'm were like best friends yet. back then and, and didn't, <laughs> <laughs> just forgot, you know. Yeah. In Wouldn't it be funny though I'm, I'm if you were like hair a in total, you were like a total jerk to me? Oh, back no. <laughs> it's like you know, the, I've been the, waiting for this moment, Carl. Yeah, <laughs> go be a lawyer. You know, there, are a couple, there are a couple of those in my past. I mean, there, there's, there's, uh, it's, it's, it, it's, yeah. Oh, especially from the advanced group. <laughs> wow. So it, it was it was Stanley there that year. Stanley Yates was he? On the I actually think he was. Okay. Yeah. Cause I, yeah, cause I, yeah, he was there. He was playing like the, the Haropo from the Merlin. He was like screwing around in a lobby at some point. Always. Oh, yeah. I think you were there, man. I think I, you I, were I'm there. I'm sure I was there. Yeah. I'm sure I was there. And Carlos Perez was probably there doing the, the doing the Friday, the Thursday night concert. Um, Maybe. I don't remember that, that much. Okay. He wow, must've been very is, forgettable. That is nuts. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't Carlos Perez was not forgettable at all. It's terrifying. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but I, I just, you know, it's funny because having done that event for so long, it's it's all a blur. Like, I couldn't tell you what happened in 2003 or what, you know, because it changed over time and I couldn't tell you, like, when all those changes were and, you know, that. But that's, wow, that is that is nuts. What Do, what, do you remember, did you play in the, in the concert? Did you play solo in the... In the I in sure the did, concert? yeah. I yeah. played uh, the Joaquin Malat's Serenata Espanol. Oh. Do you remember my performance, Carl? No. <laughs> Well, no, the funny thing is, it's like, I mean, obviously I know that piece and I'm, I'm having, I mean, I'm, I could just be making all this up right now, but like, it's like, you probably the only person that ever played that at that, at that event. And I do remember that piece appearing at that event. So yeah, in some weird way, way back in the tiny, tiny recess of my brain, I was there. I don't remember a thing. Not a thing. Chris, you, Chris, you must feel so left out right now, man. <laughs> Let's find a festival that we've been together at. <laughs> wow. Okay. So, so you, you did the, you did the, the, the Cincinnati thing. 
then then what how how does that end up for from with you with you totally had an amazing experience there made some really really good friends was really impressed by so many of the guitarists there um and then so got really serious about guitar as soon as i got back from that festival i sought out a teacher um and julie was the the okay. first real yep. guitar teacher i had she like totally revamped my technique um at that had point i did at the festival she i think she was at the festival okay, yeah. yeah she, she was yeah. for many years and that's uh, that's how i met her i mean she I, might have actually her. been the one who told me about it okay um yeah. So, so yeah, maybe my timeline is wrong. I think I had started studying with her and then she told me about the festival and she was okay. there um, yeah. supporting me all the way. Uh, and then I came back, I got really serious and I was like, I'm gonna go to graduate school for this. Nice. You know, I, I switched and I started taking all these music uh, courses in the music department and then applied to uh, the Aspen Music Festival, the okay. Peabody, uh, Manuel Barreco masterclasses. Like a lot. Um, We're not messing around. Yeah. I got you, like Chris, you know, you get to a point where it's like, I just got to live with Chris's parents and then like feed me. And... <laughs> That's the way to do it, man. <laughs> yeah. And then applied to grad school and uh, ended up going to Yale. And then okay. I met Chris that summer uh, after my first year. Excellent. Great. And and when did you guys start playing together? Was that, was that pretty much immediately or was it? It was, it was immediate. Yeah. Because yeah. the festival that we met at was the Norfolk music festival. Okay. And it's a festival that Yale puts on and it's always different instruments. And then luckily right when I was graduating from Oberlin that summer, it was uh, the guitar's turn. And what they did was, you know, they have a bunch of guitars come and then they have uh, composers as well. And uh, they team up the guitarists with the composers. Cool. And so before we even went, you know, we got an email from, I got an email from Ben saying that you'll be playing this piece by Raymond Lustig uh, with uh, another guitarist named Thomas Flippin. So, okay. you know, before we even knew each other, we were in the duo. So, Amazing. Um, yeah, it was awesome. We arrived and, and the first day started rehearsing together and just, you know, we're talking about our backgrounds it was so similar yeah. and we immediately just like became really good friends and just never stopped playing together since you know very cool and, and, and well, at what point in time did you did you make the decision okay we're going to get a name and we're going to do this thing and and be be official about it you know because I, I i think about you know my experiences in school and yeah i was i always had guys that i played duos with and it was pretty you know some sometimes really intense but it was it was funny because like i never it never made that leap like hey we should you know make a make a go at this as a professional venture yeah, I think there were a few things that, I mean, I, I don't remember exactly when, honestly. I don't remember, yeah. Yeah, um, <laughs> but I think, you know, there's just a lot of things that, that we found in common, you know. Like I said, both being from California, we're both, um, you know, black guitarists. I'm, I'm, I'm part African-American, so, you know, that was a revelation for me because I had never met another black classical guitarist. So sure. we really got along on that level, and then almost immediately we're talking about like community engagement stuff, you know, and, and yeah. um, wanting to work with, with kids in the community. And we started doing that as well and um, received a grant from Yale to go perform for students throughout Harlem, the Bronx oh, and, wow. uh, and Connecticut. Well, that was you while you're still, still in school, that was going on. I, I was still, I was my second year and I think Thomas okay. had finished already. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think by that point we already, had her name and okay. we're playing together. And uh, I think another thing that really kind of brought us together too was the music that we played mentioned Ray Lustig was the composer of that piece, yeah. Figments. And we became really good friends with him as well. And he loved working with us and we loved working with him. So as soon as the festival was over, 
Ray was like, I want to write some more for you two. And then he started, he composed five more movements to that piece. So I think, um, we were forced to play together by that point. There was no, <laughs> there was no turning back. We, we wanted out, but we couldn't. By the way, I, I feel like let's pivot from the Steve Aaron plug to the to the Ray Lustig plug. Good transition, yeah. Chris. Yeah, so Ray Lustig, we recorded all six of those pieces uh, under the Sweet Figments. Uh, it's on our album Figments, and it is just some of the coolest uh, music for classical guitar written in the past, like, 20 years. Seriously, awesome. it's like... It's minimalist. It's like so cutting edge and so unique. Um, so yeah, just some love to Ray Lustig right now. Yeah. Is, is yeah. it published? I mean, can people people go and get it? Yeah, he he sells the yeah. music through his website. It's published through a, an organization called Subito Music, which does a lot of new okay. music stuff. But it's just, yeah. it's brilliant. It, particularly the movement 7E and then the final movement. And then the fourth movement, California, are, are my favorites. Nice. Very cool. Yeah. And it, where's he located? He is based in New York City. He's actually on faculty at Juilliard. Uh, and teaches oh, okay. in their evening division, the composition courses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Excellent. Very cool. Yeah. So what what was like the first, was that, was that, was working with him, was that like the first thing that you guys officially did as Duo Noir? Was that? Uh... That, that was our first experience. And, but there was one other thing that we did at that Norfolk Music Festival. So we premiered this piece by Ray. We hung out with him. He was like the gentlest soul. I just, uh, just quick aside, I have this memory of Ray where we're like, we're walking, we're talking to about these pieces. And I was having this conversation like, hey man, you know, we really love your music. If you write more of these, you know, like we will play them. And then I just remember like we were sitting in the grass and this caterpillar was there. And I was like, oh, is he gonna smush the caterpillar? And instead he just like picks up the caterpillar mid sentence and just like the caterpillar is like just crawling from hand to hand. Yeah, and wow. he, you know he's like such a gentle soul. I was like, wow, yeah. man, that's yeah, really as, weird. As, as he was continuing his conversation, you know, he was talking to us but looking at the caterpillar, and I was like, man, this, <laughs> oh, that's this guy's a trip, man. <laughs> this, guy, <laughs> this guy is so weird. Um, <laughs> but we that's did that, that's and great. then at the same festival, we had to premiere this like crazy quartet. Do you remember that quartet, Chris? I, I with the electronics. Were you in it? I think I who who composed it. I don't. I don't want to name names. Oh, okay. <laughs> it was like it was like a far out quartet. It was like crazy rhythms and like we. It was so four guitars. It a, for four guitars. Okay. But in electronics on a computer, so the composer was like on this that. computer, and then there was a speaker, and there were these like programmed effects. So we would play a note, and then the computer would like take the sound and do all sorts of wacky stuff with it. Granular and so synthesis, it yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> I had a student, I had a Your experience. student that was way into that stuff, and it was like, you know, this is kind of cool. I don't get it, but it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> so those were the two extremes. So we, we premiered that piece, Man. and it was like a total, I don't know, I'm going to call it a nightmare. I, th- I, I think I remember actually. We're, we were all getting kind of mad, right? Like- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then we like, then I kind of, I kind of had a little tussle with the composer because he was just like, "Oh my gosh, I, let's just talk some sh- some shit, man." <laughs> do it. Do it. <laughs> this, we're in phase two of the 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 discussion, everybody. Yeah, um, anybody who's hung around for for this long in their life or they're in, so you know, it's it's all good. So this guy, he's like, and you know, bless his heart, he's a good guy. But so like, we're, we're playing this piece, we're working on it, it's a nightmare, it's like notated in this impossible way, it doesn't sound good. And then 
<laughs> I'm just going to be real. Chris, give me like the warning sign if I'm getting too real. <laughs> and then we're going out to, and we're all having dinner together before the concert. Oh, no. And he keeps talking about, uh, about Plato, right? And it's like, and it's like so out of context. And he just keeps saying over and over again over several days. And at this dinner, he's just like, and that's why there are no philosopher kings. And <laughs> and he just keeps saying this thing. Uh, and he was saying it to like say like, uh, you know, that's why you know composers rule over their audience because the audience just doesn't get it or something like that. Oh, and gosh. and I finally just like snapped and I'm like, man, I have read Plato's Republic. And that's not what that quote, that's not what that quote is about at all, man. It's like, and you could just see like the, his face just goes pale because he's like obviously never read Plato's Republic. And I'm like, actually, oh it means gosh. the exact opposite of what you're saying. It means like true philosophers wouldn't want to rule over people. So like a true brilliant composer like wouldn't want to like lord their intellect over their audience oh that's God. listening to them. Anyway, so that was the other experience. Long it's story fantastic. short. And it helped us figure out what kind of duo we wanted to be and what kind of composers yeah. we wanted to work sure. with. You know, right. the Ray Lustig, to... Caterpillar Crawl composer. Yeah. That's where we're there at. There we go. I, I don't remember the composer at all of that piece. I need to, I'm going to go back in my notes later. And... Well played, well played. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there aren't any any records of this Norfolk Music Festival. And what year was this? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing can be Googled. <laughs> Thankfully, I made it all up, so... <laughs> That's that's awesome. That's great. So, so you're you're in New Haven. You're doing the thing. You're 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 being a duo, and but now you live on opposite coasts. That makes rehearsing kind of difficult. It does. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, <laughs> or do I you made just rehearse? <laughs> a, a little bit. A little bit of both. A little, <laughs> no, I, I. You know, after after Yale, I decided to to move back to the West Coast. And, um, but we made it clear that we want to continue playing together, yeah. you know, I mean, that, so. would, that would, that would have to be a discussion to have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Surprise. And, yeah. yeah. So, you know, we just, we've always just made it a habit of, I mean, by now we've played together so long that it is really kind of easy when it's, once we get together, we know exactly what we have to do. Um, yeah. but you know, at that time. I was making still frequent trips to the to the East Coast because we still were playing concerts out there, and okay. um, you know I'd fly out a couple of days before and and we'd rehearse. Sure. So that's that's kind of still how we do it, you know. When we have yeah. a big concert, we'll definitely meet up beforehand, right. um, a couple of days before if the budget and, allows. But you guys are you're doing a lot of. I mean, you're not you're not doing pieces that you've been doing for years and years and years and years. You're you're doing a lot of new projects and a lot of new music and everything. So I mean, they're that, that takes takes some careful coordination to make that get that stuff together you know I, you, I, do you handle that the same way like a couple days and okay it's good to go or like uh, if we I mean for the for the women composers project where we commissioned like an entire album worth of music we were seeing each other a lot more and okay um, we also had an art, artist residency at Avlock Farms which is up in New Hampshire so okay you know we had one week of just rehearsing excellent. Um, then we premiered the entire program for the New York Guitar Society, and for that, um, I flew out a week early. Um, sure. I had an insane bout of 
food poisoning. So oh, great. We always, only always re- fun while traveling. We only rehearsed. <laughs> I, I was laying in Thomas's living room, just like puking all day. And it, I remember his daughter, like, you know, she would be peeking around the corner and I'd be like, oh, oh on the no. couch. <laughs> Daddy, he's throwing up again. <laughs> but, you know, for that one, we definitely had to put in, you know, six to eight hour days for yeah. several days to get all the music together. Um, so that's how we do it. Sure. And when, when, you're, when you are together touring, are you, are you able to take some of that time to kind of look ahead and, and rehearse for things that might be coming up? Or, I mean, is that, is that, is that a possibility at all? Or are you just too busy? making it happen usually too busy making it happen so <laughs> <laughs> which is a euphemism for panic practicing yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, just making it happen man just make it happen well you're you're pros i mean that's what pros do right yeah it's, it's, go for it chris <laughs> i was just gonna say it's a lot easier like this past month we had four concerts uh in a row so you know sure the fourth That's one really was great. The fourth, fourth <laughs> one was killer. <laughs> but it was, it was different music every single time, though. Which Actually, was a little... it was. Oh yeah, gosh. we had to, we had to keep throwing in different pieces, and you know, we played. Well, what 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 kind of span of time here? Did, like, did you do the four concerts? Um, Literally four weeks in a row, okay. and each week was a different different Man, set. Man, that's a lot of work. Yeah, yeah. So so you know, in in Cleveland, uh, we wanted to. We knew it was a more general audience, so we wanted to play some, you know, we threw in some Scarlatti and, and some Albanese. Uh, and Albanese. And yep. for Oberlin, we had Oberlin a week later. So okay. at Oberlin, I wanted to, we wanted to do a bunch of Oberlin alum composers. So oh, cool. we threw in this piece by Courtney Bryan, who's an amazing jazz pianist and composer, but she went to Oberlin, graduated in 2004. Um, cool. We played some Justin Holland, who went to Oberlin in like 1840. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then um, Nathaniel Dett, who graduated from Oberlin in like 19... 19- Oh, 08 or something like that so we okay. wanted to to really kind of have an oberlin kind of uh esque project and then yeah here's a question for you that you guys you must, might might know about and it's just something it's something that came up i was down at uh, appalachian state with doug james a couple weeks ago for his festival and we we did like this um panel discussion about you know the life and work of matanya ofi who was a dear friend of mine and uh, the, you know the collection went to App State, which is just awesome. Like, it couldn't couldn't be in better hands. Um, but one of the things that came up was uh, Eugene Bragg, who's the uh, the uh, artistic director of the Columbus Guitar Society here, a good good friend of mine as well. Um, he, of course, he knew Matanya, and and uh, one of the one of the, the things that he remembered, one of the reminiscences he had uh, about Matanya was Matanya having to have his copy, his original copy of the Justin Holland guitar method the second one right and he like he he, he he knew he knew that eugene had it and he had to buy it he just would not be you know would not take no for an answer um and one of the things that came up during this discussion which maybe you guys know about are there descendants of justin holland that we know about that are still around today i've done some research into it you know and I'll probably try to dig there's actually a student at Oberlin who's really interested in in researching it and I might work with him a little bit to see yeah. but you know from all the kind of you know just scan of genealogy websites it seems that it's like he, he like maybe a granddaughter is like the last person that that I can see from that kind of timeline and that was somewhere okay. in the early 20th century so okay. 
Um, it would be great to to uh, to find some of his living yeah. relatives because there's probably still a lot more music out there of his. Right, and right. No and one it knows where it is. Long ago, you know. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the thing is, is it's just a couple generations, right? Yeah. So you'd, you'd think that you know there maybe there was an estate of something some sort or you know who knows you know I mean that would be that'd be really cool to find that stuff. You know. I know. I've I've been thinking a lot about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so you did you did Cleveland and Oberlin, and I actually I had a student. I think I think one of my students saw you in in Cleveland, and another one of my students saw you guys in Oberlin, and they oh. again they both raved about it, said it was it was amazing. So, cool. And I'm, I'm I'm too busy to do anything and go anywhere and see any anybody play anymore. So I would I would have loved to have been there myself, but you know. That's <laughs> so right. Where, where did you guys head out uh, head out to after after Oberlin? Before all that, we were in Chicago at Northern Illinois okay. University, uh, which is a program run by On Tran, this brilliant Vietnamese-American oh, yeah. guitarist. And then, awesome. uh, and then we finished up with uh, the Austin Classical Guitar Society, which I have oh, to say, right. every, everyone's been wonderful. Cleveland was wonderful. Uh, Overland was wonderful. Chicago was wonderful. And the people at Austin Classical Guitar, oh my gosh, that organization. They it's are- a magical place. It's unbelievable. I, just everyone was yeah. so nice. Uh, the artistic director, education director, like these people are just brilliant. Matt Hensley, who runs it, just oh, he's amazing. Yeah. It was just really, it was a really great way to end everything. So, and yeah. a Guitar Mini podcast guest. <laughs> <laughs> amazing. So, yeah. um, did. Chris, did you know? Did you know Matt from your time in Oberlin? He was probably gone before you got there. Yeah, he was. Yeah. He was in the sometime in the nineties. Uh, yeah. But of course, knew a lot about Matt and right. Of course, um, yeah. you know, and uh, was always intrigued by his unusual, you know, way of playing and singing. You know, and not just oh, right. yeah, simple stuff, but thing, like some, right? yeah, yeah. a lot of heavy stuff. You know, <laughs> it was pretty cool. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, the, 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 what? Yeah, Austin is is amazing. Did you guys play for the opening of the that the, the new center that they built? Uh, yeah. We, well, I don't know if it was the opening. I think Isaac Bustos. Okay. Um, oh, but, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think we were maybe the second or third concert in their series in yeah. in the Rosette, and they had just gotten yeah. the sign up when we were there, so they were just putting the little cool neon sign up. It was oh, such a great wow. space, you know. It was what, it was what amazing. an amazing thing. Well, you know, he was telling me about this. I, I like. There's, I wouldn't have dreamt 20 years ago that, that a guitar society would have its own venue. Like, what, what, what kind of weird alternate universe are we living in now? You know, like, guitar society is supposed to be begging places for spaces so that they can have concerts where 10 people come. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Austin's doing it all wrong. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's amazing. You know, it's great that they have their own space because then they're not relying on. Yeah, you know, another person's another so much freedom, right? Yeah, yeah, they could do whatever they want. You know, it's like we did a concert at Rosette Friday night and did two on Saturday. Oh, All wow. were like well, well attended. They definitely know what they're doing. Yeah. And when I got back, I definitely was thinking like I should move to Austin. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm gonna I follow think Elon they... Musk out there, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very cool, very cool. So. And, and that was, I mean, that was just recently that you guys did that, right? Yeah. Two so, weeks ago. Yeah. So what's, what's on the, what's on the radar? What's coming up? We are next? giving the world premiere 
of a new piece we commissioned. I'm sorry, I'm trying to make I'm trying to make it sound like a really big deal, man. Um, <laughs> how am I doing? We are giving yes. the world premiere. Uh, never heard before of this on this uh, planet on this planet, on this planet heard, yeah. in this galaxy you, no one has ever played these notes in this order <laughs> uh, uh, no seriously uh, of this brilliant piece uh, by this incredible composer uh, Natalie Joachim who is okay. part of this incredible cutting-edge avant-garde flute duo called Flutronics uh, she was Grammy nominated for her album of Haitian music because um, wow. she's a Haitian American and she's an incredible singer. And so she wrote us this piece and we are really thrilled to be playing it. We're gonna give the premiere of it at our set at the Guitar Foundation of America convention. Oh, fantastic. Uh, in Indianapolis. Indianapolis, yeah. On July 1st. And yeah, and this piece, I've never played or heard anything like it. It's got her backing vocals and it's called uh, like Held Together, which has to do okay. with the pandemic. And if, if yeah. you can just hold it together, yeah. you know you'll get through this difficult time so she's like singing that and it's looped and we're playing these virtuosic runs but then it oh, ends really delicately wow. uh and it's just like a really amazing piece and uh wow. and i'm just excited to to add this to the the list of pieces that we've we've kind of brought into the world that's yeah. awesome that's great and how, how did you make her acquaintance how did how did that happen well i'm glad you asked that question carl <laughs> <laughs> Because I love it when we can go full circle and bring things yeah, back to the beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the earliest things we ever did as a duo, when we were we were playing Ray Lustig's music and we were playing it uh, around New York City in these new music venues. And one of them was this thing called Blind Ear Music, which happened at this wacky hotel called the Gershwin Hotel. Fantastic. And and I'm moving we were to New York tomorrow. <laughs> I don't. I don't think. I don't think New York's as cool as it used to be. I don't it's think all, places like so this amazing. exist. There's no more Gershwin. Uh, there's no more. There's no more cool hotel. There's no more new music like this. But um, yeah. So her duo, Flutronics, was playing there. We were on the same concert together uh, okay. several times. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So we saw them play. They saw us play. We immediately knew that she and her duo partner Allison Loggins Hall are brilliant musicians. And so we just stayed in touch. And uh, and at the point, just you know, sometimes these things just snap together and fit yeah. together. And the timing was right. And she agreed. We got this grant. She agreed to do the piece for us. Um, and and lucky for us, we we reached out to her to write us a piece before she got her Grammy nomination. Because after oh, that happens, oh my gosh, yeah, the price she she blew <laughs> up, and now she's like such a big deal. And so it's like a real treat that the classical guitar has this yeah. piece by her. Because because oh, I don't know if wow. this could happen again. Yeah, sure. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and, and she'll probably return your emails now, whereas before it'd be like, oh, some guitar uh, guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> True story. True story. Hard pivot here. Um, one of the people we reached out to when we were doing our commissioning project to get uh, like new works written by women composers, one of the composers, we reached out to her and we're like, we're doing this amazing project. All these other composers are on it already. And, and her response was, well, where are you going to play the stuff? Like, where are you going to be on tour? How many concerts can you guarantee? And I was like, sheesh, it's like, man. It's like when you're playing in a bar band. What kind of draw can we expect? Like, yeah, like, what's my cut of the door? Like, I was just really, I, was like, I don't know. Anyway, so, so, so that all that to say, Natalie has been incredible to work with. And, she, you know, she's in it for the right reasons. She really yeah. wants to, like, say something meaningful and, uh, and just work with musicians who will do her music justice, which is what we're, we're really looking for, you know? Right. I feel like that was a really wholesome thing to say. 
Put a little bow on it. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. It's great. It's fantastic. So, like, you know, what do you have you guys talked about this? Is this by design that you're really, really focusing on commissions and new music and what whatnot? Or is it something that you kind of fell into or uh, you know, I think it's something that that um kind of fell into. I think it really started with with Ray and the first album that we did as a duo was Ray's music. And then Uh um, I think we both really just enjoy the process of working with a composer and being able to to see the piece kind of evolve. And, um, you know, it's just now it's it's something I think that is definitely um, part of our mission. And I, you know, personally, I don't want to just even as a soloist, I'm not trying to go out and just play, you know, Asturias and Capriccio and you know, all that stuff. I know David Russell will do it better and more people will go see him do it. <laughs> so, you know, I think, I think, I think part of being a guitarist nowadays is really trying to find your own voice. And yeah. um, for us, it's, it's uh, commissioning composers yeah. and, and working with them. And yeah. And so, and, and, and so this, this latest group of commissions that were specifically for women composers, right. Um, and, you know, part of part of this, hopefully, freedom, I mean, what, what you said about, you know, as, as a guitarist now, trying to find your own voice, trying to chart your own course and, and whatnot, I, I hope that we're at a place now where that means that, that, you know, people who typically would not have had a voice in the past now have one, and, like, you guys are helping people exercise these voices, and that's awesome. That, that's really, really, really great. Um... Is is again? Was that something really conscious, or just hey, we've got the space to do this? Let's do it. What what? Uh, how, how's that go? I, I'd say I'd say this was in, in extremely uh, deliberative or deliberate. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, um, the the backstory to this woman commissioning project uh, was, you know, I what was it? There was, it was two things. The first one was my student got me these tickets to this Eric Clapton guitar fest called the Crossroads Festival at Madison Square Garden because he couldn't go. And so I was like, oh, cool, man, Eric Clapton. And a lot has changed since then in terms of how, <laughs> in terms of how cool Eric Clapton still is with some of the things he said in the past about certain immigrant yeah. groups coming mm-hmm. to the United Kingdom. I canceled um, him. <laughs> I think he's canceled now. I think so. <laughs> Yeah, Chris told me that and sent me the recording of it. And I was like, oh, darn, <laughs> no more Eric. Uh, but anyway, so I went to that thing and it was like a four hour guitar concert, Madison Square Garden, tens of thousands of people there. Yeah. And all of a sudden I'm just sitting there realizing like, holy crap, I've been here for three and a half hours and there's not a single female or sorry, woman guitarist featured in this concert. And I was just yeah. looking around, and I saw all these women. Well, uh, wait, wait, wait! Are there are there women who play guitar? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you would never know it. Yeah. According and to Eric Clapton. I was. Uh, oh. <laughs> oh. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm watching this sea of people, and I'm watching all these women on the lower level, like close to the stage. And all I could think was like, I was looking at these like, you know, like teenage girl musicians, yeah. and I or you know, music lovers. I was just like what is going through their heads as they're watching this? Like what message are they receiving? And so it like really stuck with me. Like for the rest of the time I was there, all I could think about was 
Jesus, like every next act, still not a woman guitarist. Like, how are you doing this? The right. only woman who even came out on the stage the entire time was a backup singer for one of the, the acts, this dude like Doyle Bramhall or oh, something, yeah. I don't know his name. Um, Lefty. Anyway, so that was really uh, memorable to me. And then the second thing that happened was a major guitar society put out their, uh, their flyer announcing the concert season. And it's like, it's in a major city, you know, and like, I know in that city, there are tons of brilliant woman guitarists, like mm -hmm. incredible virtuosos with the best training, like incredible. And not a single person on this like eight concert series was a woman guitarist. And I could yeah. not believe it. So, so finally that was like my breaking point. I worked at the Diller Quayle School of Music in Manhattan. They had this grand opportunity for faculty. I immediately applied for it after writing Chris and saying like, man, we should do something about this. And Chris was right on board from the very beginning. And we applied for this grant to start commissioning women composers, Boom. got the grant, reached out to Clarissa Saad and Courtney Bryan right as soon as we got it, then started reaching out to more composers until we had an old whole album called Night Triptych. And it's just been that process and the, the album that came from it is probably one of the like definitive highlights of, of my career and our, yeah. our career as a duo, I think. Congratulations, so. that's, that's fantastic. How many, how many composers did you work with for that project? We worked with seven, but we were able to put six on the album. Okay, great, yeah. And when did that come out? Uh, 2018. Okay. Yeah. Wow. And, yeah. and how, many, how, many, how many recordings do you guys have? Um, we have two, two okay. as a There's, duo. What's, what's the other one? Uh, Figments, which was Oh, that's right, one. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. Yeah, and when, then we when, have... When, when was that one? 2014. Okay, yeah. Great. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Are plans for a, a, another one coming up? Um, eventually, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it takes. It takes. The if way you'll it... have us. <laughs> <laughs> I think we want to continue just commissioning composers and sure. and uh, you know not sure of the exact scope of this one, but have some ideas and right. uh, you know the whole process of of making an album this way, you know, with all new music takes, yeah. you know, three times the amount of, of time. Of <laughs> yeah. yeah. A lot yeah. of, a lot of resources and a lot of time and a lot of back and forth with right. the composer. So That's yeah. So worth it. You know, I mean, absolutely. really is. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. So, and, 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 and Thomas, you know, you, you've hit on this thing with, with, you know, looking at a, a group of people and noticing that certain people are underrepresented um, and, you know, you guys come from a community that is traditionally underrepresented in the classical guitar world and pretty much every other world in the United States. So can we talk about that? Is that, is that cool? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I was just gonna let that silence just linger a little longer. Just make it, just make it a little uncomfortable. I had, I had, to, I had to break the silence, oh, man. <laughs> you guys do that on purpose. <laughs> you, you do that to everybody you talk to, I know it. <laughs> no, and, and I, you know, I don't wanna, I don't wanna put, put feet in mouth or anything like that, you know, but like part of, part of one of the things that, um, you know, when I started thinking about doing this podcast, um, there were a lot of things that I thought about. Well, one of them was, was specifically that. I want to talk to people who are not me, you know, who have not had the experiences that I've had and, and hear what that's, you know, what that's like, the good, the bad, the ugly, you know, like, you know, you, you mentioned seeing, seeing women at the, at the Clapton concert, looking up on stage and they look, yeah, what are they thinking? Nobody looks like me. What is that like? You know, I go everywhere. Everybody looks like me, you know? 
So what what talk to me about that? What's that like for you, for you guys in the classical guitar world? What's it been like? How yeah. I just want to point out like I know things are about to get heavy cuz you yeah. started the audience won't know it but you started taking off your jacket, rolling <laughs> up your sleeves. <laughs> I just want to let people know we're about to get real, some real talk. <laughs> Chris, do you want to go first, man? <laughs> oh, I, I have to admit that my... Oh, you know what's uh, funny, my... though? We're all wearing black zippered hoodies. Oh, my oh, God. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's crazy. That, that, that's... Anyway, so... <laughs> What were, what were we talking about? What was the yeah. question? <laughs> so I, I got cut out. I cut out the end of the question because my uh, internet froze. Oh. So um, you might have to edit that. But what was, honestly, what was the end of the question? Oh <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, just you know, just talk, talking about the, the perspective of, you know, what's, what's it like to be part of a world or try to make it in, in you know, a community where, you know, who are you? Who do you look to as, as role models? Like as, as a young person, you know, looking at the classical guitar world, you know, nobody looks like you. What that's that's not my experience. I want to hear what that's like. You know. <laughs> oh, is he, is frozen? he frozen? Oh no, is he frozen? Or is his face just sad? <laughs> no, I, I think, I think he's, he's giving he's giving me the hate stare. <laughs> so, sorry, sorry guys, I don't know oh what's going God. on. I don't know what's going on here, man. I'm can sorry. You, can you repeat the question a third time? Oh, Wait, no. let's just, let me see what's going on. Sorry, guys. Uh, I keep freezing here. I'm not sure what's happening. You pay your internet oh. bill, man? Good grief. Yeah, I, I said my wife's out of town, so nothing's happening anymore, man. <laughs> um, she had to turn the computer on for him before she left. <laughs> Everything's oh. ruined now. He's asking oh. this like serious question, and you're, you're dropping out. Oh okay, my God. if I if I drop out again, I'm sorry. But you asked if we had any any role models to look up well, to. Well, no, just like I I, I just want to hear about your experience from from that point of view. You know, again, thinking about what Thomas said about you know seeing the women at the Clapton concert, and you know what what thoughts going through their heads, like like nobody nobody here looks like me. What is what is this? You know. Why am I here? You know this kind of thing, and, I, and I'm, I just, I'm just curious. You know how how has that been for you guys and your experience, and and um, you know the, the 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 classical guitar world, as as I've known it, is has not been the most diverse place in the world, um, and yeah. it's changing in great, fantastic ways. I think, um, but I yeah, I just want to, I'm, I'm I'm curious about your perspectives on that because I don't I don't have that perspective myself. Yeah, totally. I mean, I I realized it pretty early on when I started playing classical guitar that there are no, I, I didn't know of any um, black composers. I didn't know of any um, black guitarists, classical guitarists, obviously. Yeah. Um, you know, and growing up, my dad would always show me a lot of blues players and, and like, be like, this is what rock and roll came from. And Jimi yeah. Hendrix always trying to like, you know, show me that there's these amazing black guitarists that influenced all these, you know, guitarists from England. Right. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, I remember my very first recital, like ever, it was just, you know, I played one piece in a lineup of a bunch of other students. And, you know, my teacher was like, do you want to play, you know, the Targa that you're working on? Or do you want to play this? And I was like, no, I want to play some Scott Joplin. So I found nice. these awesome Scott Joplin arrangements by uh, Giovanni Chiaro. And I, I don't even know if I really was realizing it at the time. I think it was more subconscious of just like huh. wanting to to play, you know, a black composer for the first yeah. recital. And it was shortly after that that I discovered Justin Holland. Yeah. 
and um, and I immediately became obsessed with him and yeah. you know just randomly stumbled across his music on the internet. My dad and I were going through some music on the Library of Congress because he was doing some art theme or some music themed uh, uh, paintings and. Okay. We saw some guitar music. I was just like, he's like, go get your guitar, play through. I was playing through it. And we saw the name Justin Holland. We Googled it and we're like, oh my God, a black composer in the 19th century. Right. Yeah. During the crazy, time of slavery. Story. It's yeah. like <laughs> insane, man. I was just like, blew my mind. And I like got super obsessed with him, found some guy named Donald Sauter who oh, kind yeah. of was, yeah, I never met him, but I reached out to him immediately because yeah. he knew a lot about his music and he lived in the DC area. And I asked him yeah. to go to the Library of Congress and I paid him to go there and uh, get everything that they had of, of his music at the Library of Congress and copied it and sent it to me. So like, you know, a month later, it got this huge folder of music. And, uh, you know, so I, for me, seeing Justin Holland, a, a black guitarist in the 19th century was a huge inspiration to me that, and then I, you know, it just became kind of a life work for me yeah. and it shaped a lot of what I've done. So I collected the rest of his music from uh, Cal State Northridge, sure. um, and then just recently recorded an album of his music, which will be released on Noxos in, uh, oh, in February. Fantastic. So I'm really Excellent. excited about that, you know. Wow. And you know, it's funny just to to talk a little bit more about how now it's like you know it is it is getting better in the guitar community. We're seeing more black composers and people doing projects, but you know, no one. I would I would play Justin Holland and talk about Justin Holland a lot, you know like the past 15 years and everyone's like, ah, he's okay. Uh, you know, his music's not that great. And I was like, yeah, it's not just the music, it's the story. And then after, yeah. after, um, you know, George Floyd and all that stuff, it's like, all of a sudden I started getting all these emails and calls like, can you play Justin oh, Holland? Can you do oh Justin? I'm like, I'm like, wait huh. a minute. How come you didn't give a, you didn't? Yeah. <laughs> like, huh. I've been, I've been taking this guy's music for 15 years, you know, and now all yeah. of a sudden, so, you know, a lot of people say to me like, oh, did you get into his music just because of everything that's going on? You know, it's like, no, uh, like now people are <laughs> now people are paying attention to it, you know? So right. um, I'm happy that you know, Justin that, Holland is finally- It's great, but that's, there's something really sad about that too. You it know? is, you I know, mean, and, and, you know, and for me, it's, it's nice because now people are paying attention to his music. I could finally play it and, and people will listen to it, you know, not just judge it immediately and say like, he's some knockoff of Fernando Sor or something. But, yeah. you know, I, hopefully people will see in this music that it's, it's like truly American. It's so cool Absolutely. that he's taking these yeah. tunes like Home Sweet Home, you know, it's like, who's gonna compose variations on Home Sweet Home? You know, it's like, right. just, and it's like epic, you know? So he's doing these really cool things that the European guitarists were doing on, you know, the Sor Mozart variations or, you know, all sure. that stuff, but doing it, with American, American sources, yeah. on American sources. So From an I find point it, of view, and a distinct yeah. American point of view, you know. Exactly. So um, hopefully more people will play his music and get interested in it. And um, that's, that's my hope. So, yeah. yeah. Somebody, should, somebody should make a movie. Somebody really, uh, that, when, I, when I first learned about him and his story, I was like, this, this, would, this would be a fantastic film. You know, what a great story. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. And, and, and unbelievable. I mean, I, I can't even wrap my head around it. For him to have done what he did when he did it in this country, it's, it's astonishing, you know. It is, it is. He was a really, like, amazing person and hard worker. And as I mentioned, he went to Oberlin in, like, the, I think, yeah. 1840 or something. And right. the way he gained admission was that he wrote 
the president of Oberlin, you know, wrote a letter to the president yeah. saying why you should go to Oberlin and, and how he would be great there. And then he got invited to, to study there, you know, right. so it's I mean, amazing. He really had to fight to get in, didn't he? I mean, it was, it was quite a process. I think, I think it was quite a, I mean, I don't know if it was that hard because they had started accepting um, African-American students, okay. I think in like 1835, I might have okay. the years wrong by a little bit. So, um, you know, that's, that's another reason why I loved Oberlin. It's just such an open right. place, like forever, sure. you know, it's always been that way. Yeah. And uh, it still is. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Yep. They, they, you know, they, they, here in Ohio, they talk about uh, Oberlin and, and uh, Antioch College, which used to be in Yellow, Yellow Springs. Um, those, those two places are often mentioned in, in, in the same breath as, as those, you know, those darn hippie schools where people do crazy things, you know. <laughs> I love it. Oh, oh, Ohio in general is, is not exactly the, uh, a hotbed of progressive thought. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> it, it's, it's true. It's true. But it's funny, you know, because when you were talking about um, that you went to Cleveland Institute earlier, it's, it's kind of amazing how many conservatories are in this, like, small concentrated area yep. of, yeah. like, you know, of Ohio. It's, like, some of the best teachers, some of the best students right. have come from, you know, Cleveland and Oberlin and, yeah. and, uh, yeah, it, it, it is. Yeah. It's really strange, <laughs> but yeah. happy, happy to have it. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. So Thomas, I noticed you haven't, haven't been saying much recently. Oh, if I could just get a word in, get a word in edgewise. Oh my God. No. <laughs> just kidding. Um, yeah, I mean, there's so much you can say on this issue of inclusion. Uh, and what I think what Chris touched upon about how, you know, like, he's been out here in the trenches doing this Justin Holland stuff <laughs> since I first met him. Wow. So like, literally, you know, like 15 years ago, like one of the first things he was excited to talk to me about was, hey, man, I've got this collection of all the music of Justin Holland <laughs> from the from the Library of Congress. He, he sent it to me. He's like, read through all these. We're going to make a CD one day. And now he's like, finally made the CD. Um, and he has like follow-up projects uh, planned for it. But it's like, you do this work and you plant these seeds and then it's like, then you wait for the world to kind of see the value in what you've been putting out there and, yeah. and what you've sown. And it's like the exact same thing happened when we did this Woman of Guitar uh, commissioning project. We started commissioning those, those composers, those brilliant composers in 2015. Oh, and we had like wow. no idea that Me Too and that yeah. whole thing was about to happen three years later but when we when the album came out it was like right around that time and so all you can do is just curate you know just who sure. are composers like what is what is my field lacking right now um that i can try and can plug that hole so that eventually people will no longer be able to say oh if only there were good music written by women composers then we'd right. play it if right. only oh, there God. were music by good african-american com composers uh along the uh, of the quality of Soar and, and Rigondi and all these random Italian people from the 1800s, <laughs> you know, then I would play it in the concert. And, and, and I feel like our job is to, to totally refute that argument, to make yeah. commissions uh, and bring forth music that is so uh, of merit and, and objective value and worth and craftsmanship that you can no longer say, uh, it's just there's not enough good music to choose from. Then you right. then you at least have to recognize that there is a dearth of women composers in guitar concerts. There is a dearth of African American composers in guitar concerts, and that if you choose not to program it, either you're doing it just because of personal taste, like you don't like that style of music, 
sure. uh, or like from those particular composers who are possible, or you just you're just choosing not to. You're right? perpetuating, you know. I mean, yeah, that's you're making I a deliberate it. choice. Yeah, yeah. You're, yeah. yeah. Um, try try and, a little harder, perhaps. <laughs> maybe, yeah, maybe. You know, like at least at least you know that it's out there. Uh, so yeah. part one is like raise awareness. But to your question, uh, one thing. One thing that I think is interesting to, to, to contemplate is when I was coming up, I started getting good and, and I started going to festivals. And at festivals, it quickly became apparent that there was no one in the room uh, like me. I meant one black woman and maybe like a black uh, young child at a festival, maybe Cincinnati or something, but she was an amateur. So at the, at the more advanced levels, I started noticing, like I'm at the Aspen Music Festival, there is literally like one other black person and she's a singer, you know? And so you start asking yourself, well, why the, why the heck is it this way? Yeah, you know, like what's yeah. going on here? And, and like Chris's dad did with him, it's like, I knew that there were freaking brilliant African-American musicians and yeah. going all the way back, you know, as early as music in America has been happening, sure, you know, absolutely. with like these opera singers singing at the Washington Monument, like oh, this long history of it. Um, and so what happens is you start realizing like, oh, I'm like the only one, <laughs> like the only one doing yeah. this. And that's why it was such a, a relief and joy to find Chris and like just the universe bringing us together <laughs> to see someone of that background that was not me playing at such a high level. And Chris is, yeah. you know, Chris doesn't, doesn't show it. But Chris is like a fierce virtuoso. Like he's like an unbelievable player. I'm just gonna gush on you. Oh. Now it's your turn for for the shout out, man. Oh, thank you. Wait, thank you. Who, who am I giving points to now? Wait, wait. <laughs> but seriously, like Chris had like his knowledge, his background of his knowledge of different styles, his ability to improvise. His like it's just it's like it's really uncommon to be as good at guitar as Chris is in so many ways and so musical. Um, so, so that's, that was really great for me because it, it had been a little bit isolating, you know? Sure, sure. And, and, and what I'm getting at is, uh, or what I think is interesting is every single time I would be doing something, I would be thinking in the back of my mind, you know, is this the first time that a black American has ever done this? You know, for example, we just did this four week tour. Are we the first? African-American classical guitarist to ever play at Northern Illinois University, at the Cleveland Classical Guitar Society, at the Austin Classical Guitar Society. That's a good, good bet. It's an interesting, <laughs> I mean, and so, you know? and so if that's the case, then you, you know, playing classical guitar is hard enough in and of itself. Right. But then to, to also know that you're like the torchbearer for this thing that hasn't been done before. Yeah. You're people's, probably people's first experience ever seeing a black person play the classical guitar. So every mistake you make or every, every slip that you have of being like not as prepared as you wanted to be because of life circumstances, you know, it carries a different weight sure. than just like David Russell having a bad night. Like there is no bad night for you because that might be like the only night uh, is, is my uh -huh. point. So I just uh -huh. think it carries a little bit of a different weight. That's always there. You know, I've, I've, I've discussed this issue with, with other people from, from, I don't know. I don't want to call them marginalized populations. I, it's so, sounds so stupid, but like, you know what I'm saying? You know, like I, I, I've, I've discussed this issue with, with other folks and I mean, that's just, yeah, and it's, it's present in everything you do. It's not like, it's not, it's not like it just shows up and rears its ugly head. It is always there. And I, I would, that's kind of, I would think that would be exhausting 
you know, and and to just try to to carry that it, it, at the same time you're trying to do something that's really difficult to do on you know just by itself, you know, and and then then to have that you know just kind of poking you in the back of the head all the time like. Man, that's it. But some, I, sometimes I, it pokes more than other times, I would say. Yeah. And I don't know, Chris can speak to this. Like, Do you, you know, find depending... it like really motivating or is it, is it just like, oh God, there it is again? I mean. I'd say depending on like how the audience response is, you know, like you can yeah. sense when an audience is warm and friendly. Yeah. Um, but sometimes when it's like these cold, uh, I don't want to say hostile, but just like you can't sense what the audience, what the room is feeling. Yeah, yeah. Uh, then it feels like this very detached thing and your mind starts wandering and like assuming all the worst things. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, Chris, do you want to speak to this at all? Um, sure. I mean, you know, I think for us, luckily a lot of uh, concert series and societies now are doing a lot of community engagement. And I think mm -hmm. that one thing I really love about playing in places like Cleveland and, and St. Louis Guitar Society and the Austin Guitar Society is the amount of work that they do to try to get the guitar out to to everybody, you know, and not just focus on, you know, the same audience members, you know, or just try to sell tickets and, you know, have the same artists. And I really love to be able to go out and hopefully, you know, and what they're doing is great, too, because it's this consistent work in the schools and they're actually trying to get, um young guitars, you know, whether they're, you know, Latino uh, guitarists or young black guitarists, and they're trying to really show them a path sure. and, and that there is classical music. And, you know, cause a lot of people say like, okay, well, like maybe there's no black guitars cause they don't want to play uh, classical guitar. It's the culture. Yeah. 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 It's like, <laughs> oh, they don't want to play class. You know, even like when I was in school, it's funny, you know, like uh, in high school, they're, more than one occasion where people would come up to me, you know, and say like, wow, man, that's so cool that you play guitar, man. Cause like, I know you're part black, like oh maybe like, God. that's. I'm so glad you're not, you're not like into rap, you know, I'm like, I'm like, what? I'm like, my, oh my like, or like, you know, your dad, your dad must love rap music. I'm like, my dad like oh, hates rap on. music. Oh, my God. oh, I'm embarrassed for people right now. But you know, it's like, like there's one kid at Oberlin right now whose life was completely changed by the St. Yeah. Louis or by the Cleveland Guitar Society, sure, you know? And, sure, sure. and like, you know, it, would he have known about classical guitar if it wasn't for the St. Louis Guitar right. Society? I don't know. And it's like yeah. th what they're doing in the schools is actually working. And I love being a part of that. Yeah. And, you know, I think that makes me feel better about the future of the guitar. And I think it's a very difficult question to answer. It's like, how can we get more, you know, people of color into classical guitar. Sure, sure. I, I have no idea, but I think that is definitely the first step. And if right. people follow the the model of what Austin's doing and yeah. and they have the resources to do it in their town, I think that is a huge step Absolutely. to getting. I mean, they're they're really they're they're showing us how to do it. You know, like, they are. That's, they that's are. The thing is, like, if you, if you wanna wanna figure some stuff out, just look at what they're doing. And and yeah, uh, obviously they've got the track record. It's it's working wonderfully. You know. And yeah. you know, it's, and it's funny because you know this question of what do we have to do to get to get more people of color involved in, in classical guitar? It's like, well, how about just opening the damn door, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. That's really it, you know. And that's, you know, oh, go ahead, Chris. I was just gonna say, you know, places. Oh, I'm gonna keep going on about St. Louis because I've 
you know, I really, I've loved the work that they've done. And, and William Ashter, former president, is such an amazing person. But, you know, like every school we would go to, they would give free tickets to the students, you know, and I would love seeing the students come to the concert, you know, dressed up, you know, really yeah. nice with their parents. Like, yeah, and then a couple of times the students were like, I never thought it would be somewhere like this before. You know, this oh, is an amazing yeah. experience. And yeah. and they loved it, you know, it's like it's, they're of opening they their eyes. Yeah. And, and in Austin, you know, the first night that we play there, Friday night is a community concert. So, you know, the concert is completely free to the to the community, to the kids in the schools, to the teachers and to see them there, you know, in that environment and be able to see professional music. You know, it's something that, you know, I wouldn't have gotten if it wasn't for my parents, you know, taking sure, me. Sure. <laughs> yeah. And those, and those are life changing experiences. I think I think anytime you talk to somebody, you know, in, in, in the performing arts, they, there's always that, you know, you can you can just ask them, OK, when you were a kid, what was it that you went to and you saw and, you know, and, and it planted that little seed or you had that thought of like, hey, maybe I want to do that. You know, yeah. Right. Yeah. And and then the next step after you think like, oh, maybe I want to do that is to see like, well, have other people like me done this before? Yeah. Right. To actually be able to imagine yourself in that role. And I, I, I'm pretty sure Chris had the same experience. There was a moment when I was like really starting to fall in love with the guitar when I was young, starting out where, you know, you go on the search engine, you know, at the time, I don't know what it was, Prodigy or Yahoo. Alta Vista or <laughs> Ask Jeeves. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and your modem connects, you know, with the sounds and then, and then, and then you search for, you search for like black classical guitarists. Yeah. Like there is definitely a moment where I remember doing that sitting in my bedroom, wow. just like, Hey man, Hey, wait, like, has anyone else ever done this? You know, like yeah. wh who is this person? Like I want a Christopher Parkening, you know, yeah. from my background, you know? Um, but I, I couldn't find it. And, yeah. and I think like, that's why it's so important, uh, for us to be out there kind of doing this stuff and trying to do it like at the highest level that we can so that people can see themselves in it, you know? And right. we've gotten feedback from people where they say like something like, hey, when I saw you two on the cover of, of Soundboard Magazine for the Guitar Foundation of America, that was like life-changing for me. Yeah. To, to like yeah. see you two on the cover, like stuff like that, you know? Yeah, um, cool. but But to your other point that you just made about uh, like the audience and how are we going to get you know, more people of color in, in, in these things. I think that's a question that's interesting because, I mean, does everyone want that? I don't know. <laughs> I feel like I feel like some people want to be more inclusive, yeah. but other people just want to be like this museum, yeah. uh, you know, innovators versus curators like or, or preservationists who just keep doing what's been done yeah. with the same people that's that it's been done with. Right. Right. You know, I want to have my guitar society where I play, where we have the same people come and they play Albanese and they play, play, play Soar, uh, and, you know, they play Tariga and like, that's what the classical guitar tradition has been. That's what I grew up with. And that's what's worth preserving. And I'm not saying that that's wrong, sure. but it's a choice, right? Yeah. And so, and I just think that's like an interesting thing that we have to find this balance between, you know, do we, the problem with that choice though, as I see it is, the demographics of the country are changing and younger generations are no longer interested in classical music in the same way that older generations who founded right. all these societies are. So if you do that conservationist choice, you're pretty much dooming the classical guitar because, okay, okay, I've said the wrong thing. <laughs> Carl, Carl, Carl has gotten Carl's, up and Carl's, Carl's, Carl's left the building. <laughs> had, oh, I, I really, had to get a piece oh. of plastic away from a dog. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> 
I'm gone. Like, oh, I offended him. This podcast Uh-oh. is over. <laughs> I have to go practice Capriccio Arabe now. <laughs> but uh, so I was always saying, like, uh, like young people, classical guitar doesn't hit the same way. We have to find new yeah. ways for it to be relevant to their lives. Sure. And I feel like for us, like that's playing new music that it has top that covers topics that are relevant to them. It has people their age who they can relate to and are doing the same sorts of things. Um, I just feel like it's a death sentence for the classical guitar if something doesn't change. So, right. no, so I, I think I, bringing I, people I in, yeah. And I, anyway. I, think, I mean, not, not just classical guitar, but I, th- I think just, you know, the, the, the classical music world in, in general, you could probably say the same thing about, you know, and, and my, I, I, I have a real strong um, feeling about where people should be making art, you know, and, 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 and I think part of the, part of the reason, part of the problem, the big problem in classical music is, you know, we create this really intimidating space for the, the music to be presented in and we don't give people the tools to understand that environment, you know, and then we make fun of them because they don't understand it, you know, like, you know, you clap between movements and something and people are like, oh, you know, and, yeah. I mean, it's, like, <laughs> it's, so, it's so dumb. It's so dumb. And, and the sad part is, is, I mean, maybe, maybe I'm naive, but I've never seen anybody be exposed to classical music and go, wow, that was really ugly and I hated it. You know, I mean, it's, 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 in fact, it's always the opposite. There was like, I didn't know this existed. This is so beautiful. Amazing. And you got them. They're right there. That's it. That's all you need to know, you know? And, and so, you know, I, I, I just love this idea of taking the music to the people. Like, where are the people? Let's go you know, play, playing chamber music in bars. Why the hell not? You know? And, you know, even if they're if even if they're not being quiet, I don't care. Like you know, I just I let let let's do that. Let's you know let's let's take it out of that that really stuffy weird environment, which which can be awesome, but you know, and and I, I think you know it, it 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 touches on that that problem. It's like you know that you know, making it relevant or make just making it present, you know, in people's lives. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, we just saw that it was fantastic. That was good. Man. We're, 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 we're giving we're giving a lot of head nods here, a lot of positive affirmations. So, yeah. <laughs> Note to future Carl: edit out that dead space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's. But I mean, those are those are those are great things, and I, I don't know. I mean, it, it's, you guys sound hopeful. I I feel hopeful. You know, I I think like you like we. I think all three of us have said at some point in time here that you know the, the world's changing, and uh, I think for the the better in that regard, right? You know, so I <laughs> I think so slowly, slowly yeah. but surely, you know, yeah, yeah. So, and uh, are you guys both teaching now too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I teach out in uh, out here in the San Francisco Bay Area, so okay. I own a music school. Uh, oh wow called the California Conservatory of Music. I own it with this uh, other guy. We started it 12 years ago. His name is Robert Miller. Um, okay. Started off as a as a Suzuki guitar school, and we had okay. about, you know, 60 students between the two of us. And Fantastic. then now, um, now we have 900 students. Oh, and, my gosh. Uh, 40 teachers and wow. uh, two locations. We just... Uh, we just actually Amazing. secured a bigger second location, so I'm super excited about that. So yeah. um, 
Is it also Suzuki based stuff or is it uh, like run the whole no, game? No, no. Well, the reason why it, it, it grew even larger is because we started offering other instruments. So okay. we have uh, guitar, piano, violin, and voice. So okay. I teach there and then uh, also I teach at the U U uh, University of California, Santa Cruz. Okay. Um, and that's, that's my, my, Friday, my Friday gig. Excellent. Because <laughs> yeah. that, that's part of the equation too, right? You know, is, is having, having people of color teaching people and hopefully teaching other people of color as well. I mean, that's, that's an important part of this equation as well, isn't it? It is. Yeah. yeah. And, and I'd, I'd say even more, it, teaching people who are not of color and showing that you can inhabit that world as well, right? That ah, when they think of a yeah. classical guitar teacher or sure. composer, they see you. Right. right. And they see that. And that's why it's so important for me when I give huh. pieces by a woman composer to a student that I don't just give them to my my girl students. I give them to yeah, the yeah. boy students as well. Right. And that's just as important, if not more so. Oh, yeah, um, sure. But yeah, that's so a, I'm teaching... that's an excellent point. Yeah, that's, that's because, yeah, I mean, you know, knock on the new teacher's door and he opens up the door and oh, I didn't. I didn't know yeah, yeah, yeah. look like you. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, oh, wait, oh, oh. <laughs> Am I in the right office? <laughs> um, but yeah, so I'm teaching at the Dillacrell School of Music in Manhattan, uh, okay. where I teach a composition course, and I have students, you know, age five through 65. And then I, uh, I taught at Concordia College Conservatory okay. for 10 years, but the yeah, school yeah. just closed because of the pandemic. Oh. and financial troubles so they were a like casualty closed, closed, gone. like the whole college shut uh. down all the students now have to re-enroll at a different school across town wow. uh that's buying the college and yeah it's just it's been a hard couple Sounds of years messy. for a lot of people yeah very Absolutely. messy very unfortunate for a lot of people so wow and and then the, the, the school that you teach composition at are you still also teaching guitar there as well oh yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. okay yeah. So I've got a studio, some brilliant students, and and it's in the Upper East Side of Manhattan. I work with uh, some really great guitar colleagues, Zhao Kuyumjian, uh, Professor George England, like just really great. It's just a great school, really well run. Yeah. Fantastic. Excellent. Great. Yeah. Cool. What else should we talk about? I was going to say, are we, are, are we running out of, out of steam, man? <laughs> I, 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 well, I think we, we, covered, we covered some great points, you know, it's, 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 it's really great, yeah. Um, and, and you mentioned um, you got some stuff coming up, right? Yeah, we're doing the GFA in June, That's and right. then in the fall, um, we were planning to go back to uh, St. Louis for... I think our was our fifth residency there. I don't even oh, fantastic. remember. Fantastic. Fifth or and sixth. When you, when, you, when, when you do that, how long are you are you there for the residency? About a week. Okay. And you go yeah. out to schools and, and yeah workshops yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. And at St. Louis, you've seen it grow. You know, the first time we went out there, I think there were like just a couple of schools that they were working with, yeah. um, and we went to all of them. It was like three schools or something like that. And then right. um, our our most recent trip there a couple of years ago, I think they had like you know like two dozen schools now almost that oh, they fantastic. work with and we went yeah. to nine of them so um i'm excited to see how many they have next time and yeah. love working with the students there and, yeah. so with, with with that residency i mean is that something you guys created on your end or is it something that, that you collaborated with them or is it something they had like hey we want to do this with you you know how, how, how'd that work out just years ago our manager reached when we had a manager uh he reached out to them and they just expressed interest in like, let's have them do a residency. Let's have them visit okay. some schools. Yeah. Uh, it was all, all William Ash's idea. 
It was just really his brilliant leadership. So had they done it before? I think he they was, must have had some some ensembles going into schools before. Yeah. 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 Oh. But now, you know, it's like a huge part of what they do, just like Austin. You know, they're sure. saying that 90% of their like funding goes into the education right. at Austin, which is yeah. like so cool, you know. Like that's yeah. where you want to be, where you get people, you know, these huge artists like Yamandu and then you know they're gonna sell it, but you know, like doesn't matter what size the concert hall is now, because you know, it's that's almost like just this, uh, this secondary kind of, you know, part of their society. Right. So, you know, if they lose money on that, it doesn't matter. But sure, sure. all of the energy and focus goes into their education and you see yeah. more and more doing that. Cleveland is ramping it up more and more now yeah. too. Yeah, well, Can I just... Matt, Matt told me something like they, they, they do they, just an insane number of performances in that community every year, you know? Yeah, and, like a hundred, yeah. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's it, in... It, it, even like their their main main stage concert schedule is is a whole lot of concerts, you know, and it, and it just and it, you know like you were saying the whole the whole point is like you focus on the community, and the other stuff grows out of that. It's like oh yeah, we got this concert series too, you know. Yeah. It's like what are you going to focus on? You're going to focus on building your community, or are you going to focus on you know that that thing, you know, or just yeah. have the community support that, create the community to support that. It's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. You know. It is. Wait, were you going to say, Thomas? Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, like, you made that point earlier about, you know, like, you know, classical music and bars and stuff. Yeah. Like, I think that's so great. I think that's one of the things I love the most, uh, since Chris was just talking about Austin classical guitar, that this this space they have, the rosette, it's like really yeah. intimate. It feels like a jazz club. Um, and I, they didn't have tables set out, but like, how nice would that be? Yeah. To just be at a classical guitar concert, you know, because like, for example, like when my wife and I go to concerts, like we go to jazz shows a lot whenever, like before the pandemic ruined the whole world. Um, but, you know, like, or we'd be like in Memphis and we'd say like, oh, let's go check out the House of Blues and see who's playing. And like the joy that you get from being able to like, or when we went on vacation in New Orleans, like the joy you get from being able to like watch an artist perform, have a drink of beer, yeah. lean over and like whisper something to your partner. Like it's such a different feeling. And it's mm. just, I got to say, man, like I don't, I don't get why classical guitar doesn't embrace the intimacy that the instrument brings. Like the yeah. rosette in Austin is very intimate and I love hearing the guitar in those close settings, but yeah. I want to be able to like order some food and have a drink and whisper sure. and not be yeah. like shushed, right. you know, or given scornful looks. Well, the funny thing about that is, you know, over, you know, classical music has, has, as we know, it is something that's been around for 500 years and it's only a very narrow window in that time that, that it became this kind of like, you know, sit and be quiet and, you know, worship at the temple of Beethoven, thing, you know, <laughs> like it, for most of its history that it served a social function and, you know, people were hanging out and drinking and talking and having a good time and, and why not, you know? And I get it, right? Like, oh, you know, like, you know, you're a music lover. You want to be able to hear every yeah, note. They're like, oh, I've never seen Manuel Barueco. This is the night I get to see him and like look at his nails and see what his sound is, <laughs> you know, by the by the bridge. Like, oh my god. <laughs> but we live in an age of like digital recordings. Like, if yeah. I want to hear the the whole piece in its entirety without interruption, I can just listen to it at home. So, like, when I go, like, why are you going to a concert? I think that's something that would be interesting sure. to talk about. Yeah. Like, what is the purpose of a concert? What is the purpose of having, like, writing this music, like, programming particular pieces? Yeah. To me, it's, like, it's about community. And, like, yeah, that is the coolest absolutely. thing about, about Austin classical guitar, 
Cleveland. They get that it's yeah. it's just about community and connecting with people and bringing people together. Right. And and the more of that that we can have instead of this, I'm just gonna I don't know. I'm at the point in this interview where we should Do just it. talk about go. whatever, man. Go go go. You know, like uh, you know uh, this whole like. The, I feel like the classical guitar has been inundated with this. Uh, this like shrine of virtuosity where like the yeah. only thing that matters is yeah. you go out there and you, <laughs> I know, Chris, give me, give me, give me the warning. If I'm saying do too it. much, no, do it, man. I want to <laughs> like you. So you walk out on the stage now and now like everyone's got the same rituals, you know, where you lay your, you lay your dinner table placemat, you know, adhesive so that the guitar doesn't slip. You lay it on your right leg. Then you lay it on your Wait, left leg. Did you just say dinner table adhesive <laughs> you know, placemat? You know what I'm talking about. Oh, this I stuff, love this it. mesh yes. stuff, man. Oh my God. Like I have it. I'm guilty of it too now. Cause I've succumbed to the peer pressure after seeing so many great players with their little placemat, you know, <laughs> sticky stickies on their legs. So the guitar doesn't move because it, cause it can't even move a millimeter. Oh right when you're playing because you're playing such hard music it's got to be perfectly still <laughs> oh and so God. like so yeah. so everyone's doing this now and everyone's got these rituals where it's like you're rubbing your forehead and your yeah. nose <laughs> and, and you're, you're like looking up the at the sky yeah. praying yeah. to god you know, and, <laughs> and you know like we're, we're doing all these things and to show like we're serious we're serious right. classical guitarists we're serious yeah. musicians we're gonna make faces like marcin dillo when we play to show people how deeply we're feeling the music <laughs> And I don't know, man. Like <laughs> I'll bleep that out. That'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I work with a lot of musicians who are like incredibly accomplished, like yeah. in the broader music world, right? Yeah. Like I work in a, in opera a lot. I work with a lot of jazz musicians, and and I got to tell you, from the go, uh, like one of these incredible opera singers I work with constantly was like, I don't care about buzzes. Like you keep talking about. <laughs> buzzes and you know she's like yeah. i could not care less about that because the audience doesn't care like right. a general audience could not care less about your classical guitar perfection yeah. now it's good that we we all are all going for these like you know higher levels of technical achievement compared to our previous generations but but i i feel like it's almost at a cost sometimes in terms of course. of course of like trying to connect with an audience playing music that will resonate with someone who's had a hard day in the back of the concert hall. I just feel like, I don't know, maybe Chris can speak to this, but I just feel like, oh, Chris is gonna say the exact opposite. <laughs> I see it in his face. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no I, I, I think that the guitar is just, you know, it's basically like a hundred something years behind the piano and the violin. And I think that we're kind of at like the point of maybe where the violin was with Paganini, we're there with the guitar now, you know? So I think sure. we're seeing like the height of virtuosity on the classical guitar. It's really cool. It's just, you know, the only difference is, is that it's not the popular music anymore. So not yeah. as many people care, you know? And, um, you know, to the point of, you know, for the past hundreds of years, people in concert halls or in classical concerts, they were talking, they were having fun. And that's what it's like now with the pop music that kids listen to. You know, my student went to a Billie Eilish concert. You can't even hear her sing. All you hear was just people screaming, you know? So, <laughs> I, and I think we're yeah, there now. That, that happens at my concerts too. Yeah. So, you know, oh, yeah. It's like, uh, you get used to it after a while. <laughs> oh, is Chris frozen again? Oh, my gosh. 
an amateur hour, Chris. <laughs> That's okay. At it's least not he, me. It's, I'm just glad it's not me this time. <laughs> he's frozen and he's got the smiling face. It's yeah, like he looks much better awesome. than that. The last one was was scary. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Oh, oh my god. This is pay, horrible. Pay your I internet bill, man. <laughs> Welcome back. <laughs> um, but yeah, in terms of of just um, what were we talking about? <laughs> so, so Thomas, when you were talking about you know the, the placemat and the, and the head rubbing and the you know the faces and you know all of the all of the, I often call them histrionics, and 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 then you immediately start talking about other musicians and, and and singers and pianists and whatnot. They don't do that. They just go out and play music. <laughs> you know there, there's not this weird like and, and, and that's something actually that Stanley Yates and I used to talk a lot about was just all these weird things that happen in the classical guitar world that, that other musicians just don't mess around with you know and and it, you know it, like it, that was like a constant theme for us was you know pointing out weird things the guitarists <laughs> do and like you never see a pianist do that what you know and it's just like mm. but it's, it's an interesting thing you know but um yeah I think part of it is the guitar is a it's a it's a damn hard instrument, you know. Yeah, it is. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, Absolutely. and then you know, I, I'm I'm guilty of doing the the forehead <laughs> rub too, but you know, it's because it's because you know, I my, if your hand gets too dry and your nails are not, yeah. I mean, how many other instruments? Good. How many other instruments do we have that has that this much? It's like complete control. Yeah, our body yeah. controls everything that the guitar does, you know. Yeah. And I think it's one of the few instruments that's really like that and yeah. you know i'm definitely going out on stage and praying every time because and i'm in full agreement with thomas that i think every single concert hall needs to have a full bar because i think that the more liquored up the audience is the more chance we're going to get for a standing ovation and the less less uh, of the buzzes they will hear. You know? <laughs> the more you drink, the better I sound. <laughs> Amazing, fantastic. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> thank and thank you, thank you for speaking frankly. I think that's I think that's awesome. You know, that's that's the, that's the stuff I want to hear. <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's the stuff I'm here to talk about, man. Yeah, I always say it. I'm here to name names, call people out. Shit over the whole field. Let's do it, man. So, okay, this is know, this is when it becomes it, solo noir, man. This is. <laughs> I don't know this guy. I didn't say any of that stuff. <laughs> I love everybody. <laughs> He's gonna start impersonating you now. <laughs> well, you know, the, the, I used to, I used to talk talk about the you know the the, and thankfully I haven't seen this in a while. You know the whole the whole tuxedo thing, oh my god! I oh, because I like I, I'm 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 probably a little little older than you guys, and and when I was young, I mean that was just it. It's like there wasn't you know you didn't even bring it up. You're playing, you're wearing a damn tuxedo, period. You know. And I just felt so stupid. <laughs> like, this is a, what, what am I a fucking waiter? You know, like what, what is this? You know, and it, it and it just always and when when I would see it on stage, I thought it looked ridiculous too. Like one guy walking out with a, with a guitar and wearing tails. Like what 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 is this? This is ridiculous, you know. And I I, I just remember the whole like progression from the tuxedo, and then oh, if you were like really cutting edge, you might wear a black turtleneck. 
you know. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just, you know, there's, there's funny things like that, you know. And I just, you know, again, it gets back to this thing of, of you know, what are, we, what are we trying to do? Who are we trying to reach? And how are we, how are we doing that? So is Chris frozen again? Chris is frozen again. Oh, my but, gosh. <laughs> but I'm glad, I'm glad the tuxedo thing has gone away. Because that, I mean, that's got to be like the most alienating thing ever. You know, like yeah. imagine you're, yourself, you're like a blue collar kid coming to your first classical guitar concert. Yeah. This person what walks out with a tuxedo. And then there might be like other people in the audience and like, you know, fans, like if you go to the Met Opera, sometimes people yeah. wear tuxedos there. Can you just imagine? The like, yeah. Yeah. You know, or like they're in full on suits with vests. Like it's just, yeah. I don't know. But maybe it's nice to have places where you can dress up you know, and go out sure. on a nice date oh, with sure. your yeah, yeah. partner. Yeah, but but it's, it's the ex expectation of the you know there's there's this this uniform you know like and it's just bizarre you know it's it's just really weird and again it gets I think it gets to you know a, a, I think it's a culture of intimidation I really do I think it's mm. you know like it's it's this you know you you don't have a tuxedo you don't belong in this club. Let me uh, let me lord over you and, and you know show you peons how it's done and, and it's just so silly you know and and, and, and just along those lines because I had to get one of these stupid tuxedos for a concert <laughs> I did and and not just like a normal tuxedo which you have to get to wear when you're doing like a, a gala or something yeah like when but like a coattails tuxedo and I don't right. know if anyone's ever had to go through the process that's not something they sell in most stores. Like you go yeah. to a tuxedo store, they're not gonna be selling a tuxedo with coattails because it's like so out of style. So I had to have this stupid tuxedo with coattails custom made. Like I had to ask my, oh my friends God. about it and he's like, oh, there's this company, Raha ba Fashions. They come to oh New York City gosh. once every two months. And I had to like go to this fancy hotel. What's that <laughs> super fancy hotel in, in New York City? Uh, the, the Waldorf? The Waldorf. I had to go to the okay. freaking Waldorf Astoria, meet this random <laughs> oh dude in this room so they could custom make me a suit with coat, a tuxedo with coattails. And all I could think is, like you, we were talking about earlier, the classical guitar has like, got to be one of the hardest instruments in the world. Right. And you're going to wear this thing. Yeah. And I'm going to wear like the most restrictive, most ridiculous costume <laughs> just to like appease, uh, you know, like wealthy benefactors. And it's like what I really want to play in is like my pajamas. And, and that's what I want to be playing in, but I feel like I can't, I feel restricted. Like if yeah. I walked out in something like that, I feel like <laughs> questions would be asked. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, you did, you, you did, you, you, you wore that in Chicago, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's because his luggage got lost. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. What was the question? Thank you guys. <laughs> I, I thank thank you guys so much for your time. I mean, this this has been a like a real blast. I don't I don't know if there's anything else that uh, they they oh my god about or anything. Oh my god, yeah, it's I know it, it goes, it, The time oh flies when I, I had no the idea. Money podcast. It's crazy. I, I've had a couple guests. You know, when I tell them like ninety minutes, they're like, "Oh, I hope I can fill that time." And I'm like, "You know, it doesn't matter. You know, it, it, you know." And yeah, it, it, it never, it always goes by very quickly. You oh. just let people talk and stuff comes up. Snip, snip, snip. There might be some snips, yeah. snips but I think you should definitely snip all of my confused moments when my screen was freezing because they happened like th <laughs> three more times in the past five minutes. <laughs>
Thanks for having us on, Carl. Everything's going to be on a separate track, so I'll just look for those places where there's nothing on yours, and you know, we'll move stuff around. It'll be it'll be brilliant. It'll be like nothing you've ever heard before. Oh my gosh! (laughs) Expectations. Oh my gosh! A lot of disappointment ahead. (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. Well, it was it was great great to to meet you and to put you know a face to your voice because I I love your show. I've been listening to it for a while, so yeah. Thanks. It's, it's, it's been, it's been so much fun. And and one of these things, like, you know, I tell people this all the time, it's just, you know, I did not know what it would become, you know, and, and and it's just been, it's been a real blast. When I was down in North Carolina, um, for Doug's thing, you know, it was funny. Like, I, I don't know that I've ever had a celebrity moment like this. You know, people recognized my voice. Uh, and they're like, hey, Carl. And I was like, yeah, do I know you? I would listen to the podcast. And it happened twice, like two completely separate people. Like, heard my that's voice. Awesome. And they're like, hey, it's the Guitar Money podcast guy. So that's bizarre. awesome. What is, it was so bizarre. It was so weird. It's like, I don't know. This is weird. I don't like it. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it's just been, it's been great fun. And, and yeah, getting to meet all you know, people like you guys and, and, and have these kind of chats and whatnot. It's been, been awesome. And I say this a lot and I, I usually mean it, but, uh, we will, we'll have to get you guys back on here and, uh, you know, let's, let some time pass and go out there and kick some more ass and then we'll get back and talk about, about that. So yeah, man, awesome. all the ass that's been kicked. We're going to kick so much. <laughs> 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 no, really, you guys, you guys are really, you, you're, you're doing great stuff. I mean, every time I turn around, I'm, I'm hearing about your names and, and, and projects that you're into. And like I said, the number of people that I've, I've had on the podcast that have, have recommended that I talk to you, it's like, well, yeah, I mean, you, you were actually, you were on the list from the get go when I sat down to make a list of people that I wanted to talk to, you guys were on the on the list. <laughs> Sounds like we've oh. let a lot of people down today. <laughs> <laughs> nah, they'll love it. everybody. We're, we're, you know, peel, peeling back the curtains there. You know, like, <laughs> they'll love it. Up close and personal. So I, I'm sorry what, about what this is going to do to your career. Um, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I think we had a good run. You know, cannot last forever. <laughs> But do stay in touch, and best of luck to you guys. And, and again, I really, really appreciate your time talking this with us today. I think I think people are going to love hearing this stuff. So, awesome, right. Carl. Thank you so much. Take care. This is Carl Woolwind of Columbus Classical Guitar. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Guitar on My Knee podcast. For more information and past episodes, please visit columbusclassicalguitar.com or Carl Woolwind Guitarist on Facebook. Mm-hmm.